This is Coda Radio, episode 96 for April 7th, 2014. everyone and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our three fine sponsors, Linux Academy, Derwiz's Profiler, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those three great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Good morning, Mr. Fisher. Good afternoon to you, sir. You know, I'm pretty excited because we are, like, dangerously close to episode 100, and you start to feel it. I remember this with, because uh, I think TechSnap was the most recent show, and now Unfilter's almost there, but you get cl- you, you inch closer and closer to this 100 line. For some reason, it feels like a milestone, and pretty much all the other milestones don't even matter. Like, last week was uh, TechSnap's third year in a row without ever missing an episode, and we were like, oh, yeah, yeah, happy third anniversary, cool. Anyways, <laughs> you know, but nice. 100, that feels big. And I feel like we should probably, while it's top of mind, because we were just talking about it in the pre-show, we should probably mention next Monday doing a double Coda Radio, two back-to-back Coda Radio. So that'll be 97 and 98 back-to-back. And Mr. Dominic, uh, why are we doing that? Well, I'm uh, getting married in two weeks. Get the hell out of here. What? It's true. It's actually happening. Congratulations. You're going to be finally turning you into an honest man, huh? Wow. I know, I know. I, I, you know, I thought it would never happen for me. <laughs> well, we'll see. I, I say the jury's still out. Uh, oh. So we got a lot of feedback uh, from last week's uh, Blame Game episode where uh, people, some people wrote us like, hey, guys, I know I shouldn't blame the last guy, but look what he did. So we got, But we got a whole range of stuff. I picked a few of them. We're going to talk about that. Plus, we got a lot of responses on the Oculus Rift, so we'll cover that in the feedback and then Build just wrapped up, and Microsoft kind of like did a whole bunch of really big stuff. Uh, it was it was a big build, and uh, I've also I found a tool over the weekend. I wanted to slip your way to check out. Uh, it is it is a next generation editor that the guy just quit his full time job to work on, and he's gonna he's gonna keep it open source. He's got a new idea on how to make money off open source. Well, I don't know if it's new, but it seems practical. So I want to talk about that too. So, man, that's like ninety six is gonna be like a big show. I don't even know how that happened. Well, I mean, like, I was just sitting around, all of a sudden, boom, big show. Big show just fell out of the sky. Uh, so I thought we'd start with the feedback. Before we do that, since we do have so much I wanted to cover this week, why don't we start with uh, one of our brand new sponsors to the Coda Radio program. We have two new fantastic sponsors this week. So I will say a big thank you and a welcome to Linux Academy. Linux Academy is now sponsoring the Coda Radio program. And these guys have built something pretty amazing, built it from the ground up themselves. And over the last couple of years, they've been adding more and more content. Now, now they've really hit their stride. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders, coders with an S is where you want to go. That's going to take $5 off the monthly service. They have step-by-step video courses, downloadable and comprehensive study guides, and when you get to a part in the guide, in the study that needs a server, they will spin up your own server on the back end for you to work on. And think about this, too. 
not only do they have tons of great Linux courses, like uh, you know some of the things that you probably come to expect, but also some things you wouldn't expect, like an OpenStack Fundamentals course, uh, Introduction to Android Development, uh, Linux and LPCI Level 1 exams and Level 2 exams, and Mastering the Linux Command Line, and How to Get a Linux Job. They also have scenario-based hands-on labs, but on top of all of that... They're also working on AWS certification. So if you want to become an AWS certified developer, they've got courses for that, an AWS certified system ops administrator. They've got courses for that. And what's awesome is while you're taking the AWS courses, you don't have to worry about the cost of AWS because they will spin up as part of your course, as part of the monthly service, they will spin up an AWS instance for you. So don't worry about having to pay into that while you're learning it. They handle that as part of your Linux Academy membership. They've got virtual labs for Linux and AWS. In fact, how cool is this? Check this out. They're Linux virtual labs. They have up to seven plus available Linux distributions. And whichever Linux distribution you pick, all of the course materials are specific to that distribution. So you can get a good rounded knowledge of the entire Linux operating system at your own self-paced. And they have video and audio guides, course introductions, section introductions, as well as quizzes so you can check up on how you're doing and what your progress is at. Not only that, but you can take a break and resume the courseware right where you left off. It's pretty cool. And they're adding two to three labs almost a week at this rate. They're really growing crazy fast. They have an active community where folks are discussing things in their forums, talking about the courses, talking about how they got all the training they need and got, went and got certifications and then once went and got jobs. This is a fantastic resource, not just for Linux enthusiasts, but for any of you developers who sometimes find themselves in that sysops dev role where you have multiple hats, or if you want to maybe move a product onto AWS and you want to learn some of the fundamentals, fundamentals, well, they, their scenario-based learning for AWS will actually put you through the process of building something in a semi-production state that maybe uses things like S3. Maybe it uses Amazon Simple Notification Services and EC2 on the back end, so that by the time you're done with it, you've actually gone through a production-like scenario on AWS, and you can quiz yourself, and you have the study guides and the scenarios to go through all on your own at your own time. And if you're a business, they also have team groups for for groups of folks that have some training to do, it's really awesome. They're adding additional courses as well all the time. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders and save $5 a month. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Check them out. I have been blown away. I got an account from these guys to check it out. And I just, I sat back in my chair and I thought, finally, this is how it should have been done for so long. And they're doing LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio Program. You guys got to go check that out. It's so cool. And I'll have a link in the show notes as well. All right, Mr. Dominic, our first email comes in from someone. Just someone. Um, actually, I'll save that because that's he's going to talk about Oculus. So I'll, let me, you know, someone, I'm going to move you to the Oculus pile. Our first email then will come from Verendetta. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but I'm just going to pretend like I am. And he left us a pretty poignant comment on our subreddit. He says, okay, this is a rant disclaimer, but I just thought I'd interject my personal reasons at why I was pissed at Oculus. It had nothing to do with Facebook. It's simply the SE disrespect this company has given developers who put sweat and tears into hacking the Rift in various ways over the last couple of years. Myself, I was modifying the Rift for use as a virtual field computational modeling and mapping system for partially sighted people which has nothing to do with games. But in this article, in which reveals stunning revelations, Oculus says they didn't expect such negative reactions to selling to Facebook. It has the single most transparent quote about the whole F-storm made by Nate Mitchell. We assumed the reaction would be negative, especially from our core community. Beyond our core community, we expected it would be positive. I don't think we expected it to be so negative. That was a quote. 
So, the core community made up the small independent developers hacking on the Rift, patching LiveVor, or testing it on various platforms and giving feedback just so core, just so that core you thought meant, uh, what? So he's saying the people who are developing on were part of that core community. He says, it doesn't give us a very warm and fuzzy feeling. You can dress up however you like, but the money, money is gone beyond the dreams. Um, this is getting really kind of long. But he says, you want me to rag on, you want, if you want to rag on me and tell me how happy I should be that the whole development model Oculus had been turned upside down with the added pressure to perform for their Facebook friend, go right ahead. I've already made up my mind where I stand and will move to another VR platform. I don't need that kind of attitude from Oculus. If they don't give a damn about the core community, why the F should I give a damn about them? So he's mad from, as from the standpoint of somebody who was building a product around Oculus. Right. I, I didn't really realize people are actually in that stage. Of, I didn't think there was really anybody other than game developers building products around Oculus either. Um, I, I definitely, I definitely understand his frustration. I mean, you know, people who listen to the show a lot would know that I would be equally mad, if not crazier. Um, I guess I still, you know, when someone offers you two billion dollars, I, I guess it's hard for me in my head to fault them. Mm. It's just that's just that's just too much money. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder too. Like, does it really change what he's working on? I guess, like, if Oculus starts pulling back and and kind of trying to keep things more hush hush. I, I, I guess the problem is now it's this huge wait and see game. Right now, it, it has a level of uncertainty. He's probably not comfortable with. Yeah. I, I can I can understand from that. <clears throat> yeah. All right, so uh, a next email comes in from someone. Now, this is the one I was going to add to the... So, yeah, we, we're doing the VR stuff first. So someone writes in. He says, uh, I've been listening to your stuff for a while, and I'll try to make this as short as possible. This is his top six reasons why the whole Oculus Rift deal sounds awful. Uh, so, number one, people have been cheering, rooting for Oculus as sort of the little guy in a world that seems to have a poor understanding of VR, kind of like Apple versus IBM and then later Microsoft. Number two... They had a very dedicated fan base that deeply invested in time, financially and emotionally. That's true. People put money and, you know, obviously their hopes and dreams on the line, so it was deeper than most tech enthusiast products. Oculus was heard of everywhere, uh, and they, what kind of charmed people most about it is they were a pure tech and devices company with some big names. In other words, certain to deliver uh, not locked down forced restrictions. Number three, Facebook is a service, a services company with an awful reputation as a service it encourages oversharing. Number four, Oculus sells to one of the most unpopular entities in the geek world, becoming part of a services company with a deal that, from what I heard, was pretty rushed with no proper consultancy. I can assure you that if they had been acquired by this by a devices company, people would not have been so nervous, e.g. Samsung, NVIDIA, or Intel. Number five, Mr. Dominic has been very well clarified that Facebook has a bad... Uh, has very well clarified that Facebook has a bad dev platform maintainer. Prove me wrong, but developing VR games seems to need a whole lot of investment. Developers would probably hate to rely on Facebook. As a matter of fact, even if you don't want to do it out of spite, there's probably should there probably should be a VR abstraction layer to make project projects riff independent. Perhaps we need a direct VR. Number six, the whole acquisition probably dealt a massive blow to every other Kickstarter campaign. It's coming of an age, it's a coming of an age of event for people, but either way. We'll see a lot of we won't sell to Facebook, ask, or any other company promises crop up on Kickstarters. Sorry if this became long. An anonymous user. Do you think uh, Kickstarter projects are kind of going to have to live in the shadow of this? Yes, but I, I, I would also add that you, 
aren't going to be really able to enforce a Kickstarter promise. Right. Um, so, you know, I think I think what's happening is folks kind of felt like they were invested in the company, and really you're not, right? Kickstarter is more accurately a pre-purchase situation. In some cases, yeah. Some cases that doesn't even work out. I've I've kickstarted some stuff where I never got what I right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely you know. It, it, I definitely sympathize with the folks who are upset. I just I feel like the expectation for what Kickstarter is and what people thought it was wasn't lined up correctly. Yeah, yeah, and one it's it's always like it's on a per project basis. You know, you sell you sell the people something, and uh, yeah, uh, I I agree. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to be more skeptical. I've always kind of been pretty skeptical of Kickstarter projects, but I think if people do have to disclaim that, then they're going to be held to those promises, and maybe it's going to force the Kickstarter participants to to be careful uh, and to think about that kind of stuff. So let's change gears to the uh, blame game which has proved to be a pretty popular topic as well, uh, just to kind of keep at a good pace here. This one came in from Cruel Fate, and he says, Hey, Mike and Chris, I've not heard all of your episode uh, episodes, but this is one of my favorites because it dealt with microscopic and macroscopic issues facing independent developers. Regarding the show's title, the microscopic nature of the blame game, and the welcome but, to be honest, unexpected medium article reference, it reinforced most profound that trust, or the most profound truth, I first learned from the secrets of consulting by Greg M. Weinberg, and this is the quote from the book, things are the way they are because they got that way. Upon entering a consulting gig, it is prudent to assume that your predecessor, however ill-informed you may perceive them to be when inspecting their work, may have been constrained by facts not yet in evidence to you. I have found that treating previous efforts as well-intentioned, yet perhaps myopic, will offer the greatest success in consultancy. Regarding the show's worthy microscopic content, i.e. Oculus, I'll do a separate reply, which he has in the thread. This that that whole uh, last piece there, uh, treating my previous uh, the previous you know person's efforts as well intentioned, yet maybe myopic, um, will offer you the greatest success in consultancy. Consultancy, he says. That's also been my sort of philosophy when um, when yeah. dealing with these kinds of things. It's like, okay, I'm, I, I'm going to assume. He had a reason for this because, to be honest, when I was younger, I'd get angry. I'd get mad. And I would be, like, offended that he had screwed up this badly. Have you ever had that where you got mad at somebody for their previous work? Very early on. But it's one of those things that, at some point, you end up being that guy. Um, yes. Yes, you do. You know, he, yeah. One of the most common situations is if you come on as a consultant, you'll eventually be replaced by it. By it. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you know, no one wants to pay a consultant yeah, forever. Yeah, right. Even if they say they do. Right. 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 Um, in my experience, and I wonder if it's been different for you, usually they try to convert you to an employee. Then they, they can. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And unless, that, the problem is a lot of times like there's non-competes and stuff, but if you're working right. for another company. Um, one of the – I would say one of the more common situations is that you, know, you come in as a consultant to build them an alpha or a proof of concept, and then they ship it. Right. And the the permanent person who replaces you hates you forever. Right, and you're like, well, look, I, this isn't what I didn't want them to run with this either. Like, this was this was not my idea. This was, yeah, that's that's definitely a thing or a concept uh, setup that then goes into production. Uh, and you know, we had an email that came in from uh, stuck in code or hell, and I think he might be a little bit in that anger category right now. And uh, maybe we might uh, sort of uh, feel it with him. 
He says, uh, I recently got hired onto a dev team. The code base is massive, 100,000 plus lines. They don't do peer review, which leads to every problem non-peer review code will create since they have gone through multiple developers. I asked the lead developer if he'd be willing to start a peer review. He said I'd take too, it'd take too much time and I'd have to review all of it, which in my opinion is the problem. It just was never reviewed, so he doesn't know what's going on in his own project. I'm free to partake in all of the bad practices and stray from the coding conventions at will. Scattered throughout the code, there are several unfortunately mis- uh, mistakes, which are, in his case, either security or just horrible PHP errors. I don't want to play the blame game, but this code is a ser- is seriously broken, and the lead developer will not allow me to change a single character. Um, he says, I'm feeling like maybe it's time to quit. Should I quit? And the good news is, I've added a new rule to my life list. If the team is not doing peer review, even if there's just two devs, don't hire me. Wow. He's ready to quit over it. I, I have a similar rule. I won't take a project if there's no source control. Oh, right. Yes, yep. yes. I, I somewhat recently ended up on a project like that, and it's just that's that sort of thing is indicative of other much deeper problems. Right, yep. It, 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 is, it is from a culture. It is, it is yes. born of a culture of other problems. Yeah, it, it's just one of those things. I mean, everybody has their own red flags, but I would agree that you know, peer review, I'm not sure exactly what he means. I'm assuming he means some sort of code review. Yeah. There are casual ways to do that. That, In fact, the strategy we employ at Fingertip is we do code review as merge requests. So when you send a merge request, that has to get reviewed. No. Oh. By a pull request on GitHub. And that just makes it, that just seems like that's pretty good from like a workflow process because like if you because want. Every, yeah. yeah. All developers on the team get notified when someone thinks they're ready to merge. Yeah. And it's not um, going to go forward until that happens. Right. I mean, in terms of, yeah, I mean, I think that's a smart, smart strategy, right? You need to have a red line and unlike Barry, ooh, ooh, God. Oh, wait, hold on a second now. Hold on. Don't get him off. He's a jackass. Now you got him upset. Oh, Barry, I'm sorry. Now you got him upset. He should be happy. He just got more of my money with his Obamacare. I don't want to talk to you right now. Yeah, I know, Uh, right? Twas tax season. Get out of here. Get it out of here. Mm Mm-hmm. Dude, I Send could I, a love letter telling him I would I miss him. I could do a I could do a whole podcast on uh, a whole series of podcasts on taxes. It's so horrible. Yes, well, I, we're not even gonna go there. Right I know. Now, okay, yeah. I know it is. It's it's, it's awful. It's awful. Uh, all right. Well, you know, we have one more perspective on this topic, and then this will be that this will wrap us up. Scott writes in, uh, and I just felt for him because this is XP Apocalypse Eve today. Right, tomorrow's the big day. Is it? Is that, I thought it was. Yeah, uh, I thought. I think it's Tuesday. I, yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, yeah. It's tomorrow's yeah. the big day, and uh, I feel for Scott, man. He's still in that era right now. He says, uh, "I wanted to share a position I'm in with our website. Part one, IE is not dead yet. I specifically have a client who runs Windows Server 2003, and they currently run, you guessed it, Internet Explorer 8. Womp womp. Windows Server 2003 is not slated for end of life until July 14th, 2015. Therefore." You still have to cater to your clients. Part two. Now, I think this one, he might be taking a pop at you, Mr. Dominic. PHP is not as bad as you might think. Granted, PHP was very buggy and had huge memory leaks in the early days. Now it's fairly stable and actually has some nice benefits. First, it's hands down the fastest and easiest way to deploy a simple dynamic web page, and the huge amount of support and plugins extensions is too huge to ignore. Second, people complain about speed, but version 5.4 is just as fast or faster than Python or Ruby or C++ optimized extensions can make your own code run even faster. And third, 
which would be my biggest negative is just the function parameters and the names are not consistent. But in reality, you live with it and it doesn't matter in the long run. One last comment on the new programmer aspect. In the last three years I've worked at my job, I've learned it is not really the language you use, but the process you use to create and manage your code. It starts with the requirements, the precautions, and time of a project. Far too often we blame a single programmer and don't look one step up. You may never know what the conditions they were in and when they did the code, but in some cases, you do have bad programmers, and those you kind of do have to blame. He says, "Hope uh, this explains some misconceptions, happy co- in co- uh, coding, and he links this to Server 2003, PHP versus Python, PHP versus Ruby. Wow, he included some benchmarks. How about that? That's a man who is including the mm, documentation. That is a man who's ready to fight. <laughs> I, you know, I feel for him though because uh, that whole like I eat thing. Oh, why? Just don't, don't. It's I know you know so that's like some internal heard, app. You heard that? Uh, what was it? Great Britain and another country are paying Microsoft for extended XP. Minutes. Yeah. Oh yeah, you bet. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. yeah sure. They, they, huh. What else are they gonna do? I mean, right? I mean, I would suggest anything else, but well, I mean, obviously, like not run Windows XP is the answer there. But yeah. let's just assume, for whatever governmental reasons, like they can't, like just not run XP right now. What else can they do? They have to pay up. Like they now get to pay this imaginary bounty that Microsoft has imagined out of absolutely nothing right. uh, for a product that is software that could continue to be patched indefinitely, but instead. Does not, and the reason why I can say can be passion definitely is because I know right now of a System 390 mainframe that has a 386 PC inside of it that is its controller that is running OS 2 and it is still getting patches from IBM. So I know it can be done, although they probably pay some big fat contract. So it's the same thing. Microsoft, you know, for all that hate Microsoft had for IBM, they are becoming IBM like through and through on this kind of stuff. I shouldn't say that since we're about to talk about Microsoft because they're actually doing some really cool stuff. Uh, but before we get to that, I think I'll thank our second brand new sponsor to the Coda Radio program, our return sponsor, Directory Wizards. And you can find them at derwiz.com. They have a brand new update to Profile. It's been revamped, completely redone. And Profiler is one of these tools that if you get stuck in the sysops role, if you're a developer, or if you're a sysadmin and you spend way too much time managing your user directory, updating phone numbers, updating last names, setting up vacation forwarders or when somebody gets fired, all of that stuff that drives you crazy, Microsoft tried to address this in Active Directory. And you can do it in such a way in Active Directory where you could structure all of your OU so that certain people have rights and control over other certain people. But it's so clunky and it forces you into a design that really is not sustainable after a lot of growth or it really just is is really constraining to begin with. This is where Profiler comes in. It runs on Windows or Linux servers. It's a web-based LDAP directory administration tool. So if you've got LDAP or Active Directory and you have user repository information there like phone numbers, accounts, logins, all that kind of stuff, this can help free up your IT, give them back their valuable time, and let users or their managers or HR, you can set it all up based on permissions, manage their own details. It's user self-service. Modify their own objects, but only the attributes you allow. Select, you know, and the other thing too about that is like, if you're going to go on vacation, you could say, user, you are allowed to set up your email forwarder. I don't have to go to IT, have him open up the Exchange Administration tool and have it installed on the machine that has users and groups installed on it, and have him go do it for 15 minutes. You you can just go to a web page where you can modify your own record and you're done. It's very simple. It's an automatic exchange email forwarding 
contact creation process. Not only that, but if you have a custom LDAP schema, maybe for your own application, maybe you've had extensions done for SharePoint, or maybe you have your own LDAP, Profiler can download the schema, read your schema and understand it, and then allow you to customize the UI so that it better fits any special needs you might need. And what I love about Profiler is it's just a quick download, and then you can get it installed, and you're up and running almost right away. It can run on top of Apache or IIS, and it even includes its own web server if you really just want to throw it on a box and get started. That's super nice because it means you can have this up and going in probably less than five minutes. And I got to tell you, as somebody who used to fight this kind of stuff, my solution, and, I, and this is back when I had a lot of uh, political weight because they were they really needed me to do what I was doing. I got the management institute of policy of no more last name changes because when you have a group of 500 or more people, in this case, it was about 700 employees, there's almost one or two name changes a day. And all of the places I'd have to go update that in, it was just taking too much time. And I got them to actually make a company policy of no last name changes for usernames or exchange email addresses. And Profiler would have solved all of that. And if you're in the position where you're wearing a bunch of hats and you just need to make things a little smoother, Profiler can take care of you. Go to derwiz.com slash profiler and use the code CODER4 when you download the demo and they'll give you an extended 30-day trial to just check it out. I think you'll be really impressed on how quick it is to install, how easy it is to set up. You give it the login credentials. It analyzes your schema. It's super awesome. I got a great demo of it and I was, I was like, I was blown away. I thought to myself, really, now is the time where I feel like maybe I could go back into contracting because there's so many great tools and Honestly, a couple of them are coming from the directory wizards, guys, that would make my old job so much easier and really so much more standardized because this thing also plugs into syslog so you can audit user changes and it can send email notifications when a user updates their own information. You can say ping the manager so that way the manager is aware that, hey, employee X just updated their contact info or just changed their last name. That way everybody can keep on keep tags on it and the, sy- and the system administrators aren't left out since it's also being logged out to syslog. It's pretty awesome. So go over to derwiz.com slash profiler and download profile. The brand new version just came out. And use the promo code CODER4 when you download it to get an extended 30-day evaluation. And a big thank you to Directory Wizards for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Derwiz is in the chat room right now. If anybody has any questions, you can ping him. He'll be in there. All right, Mr. Dominic, I wanted to tell you about a little tool I came across. And I'll be honest, I'm not so sure if it's the tool that got my attention or the story around it. I don't know if you've heard of Zed. Zed is a new code editor. And what caught my attention is how much publicity and traction it's getting for being a Chrome app. You only can run it right now in Chrome, which to me seems like a major barrier. But now because Chrome has gotten so massively popular, it doesn't seem to be a barrier for this guy. So here's what's crazy. As of uh, this weekend, um, yesterday, no, uh, Friday, Zed became this developer's full-time job. He's launching a company around Zed with a goal over time to earn enough money on it to support him and his family. He says it's obvious to make Zed portable, so he's going to try to uh, make it work outside of Chromium. But here's what he's doing that I thought was interesting. He's going to keep it open source, and he's calling what he, what he says sustainable open source. He, uh, he writes, I'm going, to make, I'm going to try making a living working on open source. I have not fully decided how I will attempt this, so all ideas are welcome. However, my current plan is the simplest and most transparent thing possible. Ask users to pay. If you use Zed and get value out of it, Support me financially to support further development, just as you would regular commercial software, pay for Zed as well. While possibly naive, this seems like the cleanest way to sustainably, sub, sub, sustainably 
uh, continue this type of project. I don't want to do open. I don't want to do an open core type thing or do weird editor ads. Uh, which would probably get removed by the user anyways. Consulting around Zed also doesn't seem to make much sense. And he says, again, tips, tricks, suggestions are welcome, so get in touch. And he, I think he's initially going to be using the Git tip system is how he'll be taking money. And he links his Git tip account. Um, the standalone version will be built on top of Node WebKit. It'll be available for Mac, Windows, and Linux. Once initial work is done, both versions should continue working from the same code base. So he thinks he should be able to support two versions, the Chrome app standalone without much effort. So, what do you think? You think he's going to have? Can, is there a? Is there a? Can a can a one man shop make a living on an open source text editor? Is sublime? Is the sublime text guy making a living? Do you know? Sublime text is proprietary. Right, I know, I know, but just like, is he making a living off of an editor? Is it something that makes? I guess it's probably something that enough professional developers pay for, right? And if you can find that market, is that? Is you think that's the trick? Yeah. Um, I don't, honestly, I don't know. There's a lot of competition in this space and the fact that it's not native. You know, I'm seeing a lot of this note to WebKit stuff, like packaging web apps, basically. And GitHub has their Atom editor out for Macintosh. That's now, I think, also a note to WebKit system. Um, which I've, I've been using in the, in the beta. Uh,. I'd like to see him do well. I'm just not confident that he will. Yeah, I, I'm definitely fascinated by it. And what the reason I think what I am wanting to see is I want to see. I I feel like I feel like you have to have a huge user base because, like, as somebody yeah. who gives away a ton of his content for free, um, you know, we get, we make very back very little back in donations. But again, I guess it's not we're not very upfront all the time about it. Maybe. You know, if it's something the user base is very aware of, I feel like I'm the type of person that if I had a program like that I just use the heck out of, uh, I would donate. And I have donated in the past to kind of keep them going. Um, so I'm I'm of, I'm really kind of curious to see if this works out. And that's why I wanted to highlight it. And also, I thought maybe you guys might want to go grab the tool. You just install it in the Chrome and you can pop it out into its own window. And it also installs a little Chromium app icons. So you like, you can just run it as its own standalone app pack practically. It's a really neat tool. And I, so I wanted to show you guys, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, go take a look at it. And I'm really curious to just sort of put it on the show's radar. So maybe down the road in a year or so, we'll check back in and see how he's doing, see if he's making money and, and happy or if he's had challenges. I don't think it's impossible to make money on this kind of thing. Um, where I think you run into issues is, you really have to be comfortable reminding people they they need to pay for things they find valuable. Um, and I don't I don't know if you know it takes a certain kind of personality to do that because it's a lot harder than you think to to you know remind people hey you should probably pay me for this you should you know I know it's free but you should probably pay me that's a really difficult thing to ask for you know anyways all right Mr Dominic why don't we shift gears and talk about build uh, it just wrapped up last week a build twenty fourteen. Microsoft made some big announcements. They said they're open sourcing their .NET compiler and uh, their their whole platform, uh, yes, Roslyn, yes. right? This is huge, right? I, this, I don't even know what this means. Um, you know, I put on Twitter last night that I thought it was a big deal. Some folks have questioned, well, why does it matter? Uh, I think this is huge, right? I mean, one of the biggest complaints out of Xamarin has been since Microsoft only selectively open sourced uh, .NET before. Right, right. They had to kind of guess. Uh, 
mean, at the minimum, this is going to be huge for Xamarin developers. At well, the minimum, um, I think this is I think this is a really big deal. Now, I think most right. of it's under an Apache license. Um, yeah, and, it's very permissive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I and I think uh, a lot of people are saying this is a response in you know trying to stay relevant while they still can. Uh, I I I. I really like Mary jo- Mary uh, Joe Foley's take on this. Uh, Mary J- Joe Foley uh, wrote, uh, let's see, did I? Yeah, over on ZDNet, she wrote a piece um, after she talked with some guys behind the scenes, and she's always really good at kind of getting the root of the Microsoft story. She's she's um, one of my favorite Microsoft uh, followers, and uh, you know, I think one of the things, Mike, that uh, has been talked a lot about with uh, some of these most recent announcements, and I'm including like Office for the iPad, and now the open sourcing of a lot of the .NET platform, um, a lot of people are saying, oh, it's Satya Nadella. And in fact, uh, over over the weekend, I wrote a piece from Business Week that said, in five days, Satya Nadella has turned Microsoft around and transformed the company. And that was the headline. And like implying that like he, he got it, Balmer stepped out and Satya sat down and went, know what I'm going to do? Office for the iPad. Know what else I'm going to do? Open source.net. And like just snapped yeah. his fingers. Like, come on. I, I, Balmer gets a bad rap, right? Balmer. It, it's silly to think it. Now it's, it's possible that they held the iPad versions of office and they held open sourcing this a for build and B to give the new CEO something to show because for the, you know, for the media, that's a great narrative, right? It's already Got building. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps them build it's, the story. It, of you know, Mike, if, if that is true, it would be one of the most brilliant maneuvers we have seen out of Microsoft in the last five years. It's pretty obvious. It is true, right? Those iPad apps, how they take a very long time to develop. I can tell you as an iOS developer, the quality and the, the feature richness, that certainly wasn't done in five days. No, no, of course not. In fact, so uh, Mary Jo was talking to Somer, Soma Smozengir. Oh, boy, that's awful. But he's the corporate vice president of Microsoft Developer Division, so he's the guy that would know. He told Mary Jo at Build last week that they have been working around open sourcing more of .NET for the last three years. They've been working on this. In fact, the Zamarian guys have been flying out there partnering with Microsoft, and they were a key advisor in all of this. Uh, now, which is interesting because some inside Microsoft were initially quite leery of Zamarian's goal to help the .NET developers write apps that worked on Android and iOS sure. because they felt like those platforms were competing with Windows. But over time, you know, more and more people inside Microsoft saw Zamarian more as friend than foe, and they started listening to these guys. And so they started saying, okay, well, if we're going to open source these, how do we need to do it? How do we engage with the community and according to what Mary Jo got, this has been three years in the work, and, and Zamarian in the last few uh, months has been really coming in and kind of closing up the deal, which might be why we've seen a lot of these acquisition rumors floating around. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know what to, to think. I mean, the legal implications of them opening the source of this took more than, you know, two months, right? Sure. The idea that this is all Satya coming in and being like, I'm changing everything. Superman! <laughs> yeah, it's just not true, right? No. I mean, we're not going to see what his policies are for at least another three This is the litmus test for actual journalists versus right. the armchair journalists. Like, when you see him writing these, these Satya's change the company in five days headlines, add that one to your armchair journalist list. You know what he's probably changed? He's probably changed uh, his office, mm-hmm. I'm sure, quite a bit. 
and he's probably maybe changed a few cultural things. I wouldn't be surprised things. if some of the recent Azure price adjustments weren't, you know, coming from his his office. Well, but he was also the head of Azure. Exactly. So certainly, uh, you know, and maybe changing the name from Windows Azure to right, yeah. Microsoft Azure. I could see that too. But even that, because again, they've had so many problems with names. Yeah, yeah. There had to be some sort of legal review. Right, yeah, um, yeah. I don't... Well, you know, the chat room thinks this is Microsoft taking on Java. Uh, you know, the chat room again. says that with them open sourcing uh, C Sharp, it's a full-on shot at Java. And some people in the chat room are speculating that this is going to eventually put it this is going to leave Java in the dust. Well, so that's interesting. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fairly notorious Java fan. Um, and I would say that there are a number of things in C Sharp that are, frankly, better. Um, the, the idea that someone else would take C Sharp other than Xamarin and do an implementation that could compete with Java is... I'm trying to think of who would want to do it. Unless Xamarin decided to get into the whole full stack and offer like a web services and mm. ASP.NET equivalent, mm. which is also open source, so I guess they could at this point. Yeah, um, you know, but the mono runtime has never been great. Yeah, I I think this is a pretty big deal, and it's part of an overall. Uh, I think what they're trying to do is, I think Microsoft is has actually fully come to terms with all right we de-emphasize the individual platforms we emphasize the infrastructure the back-end services and the and .net plays into that you know they created the .net foundation as part of all of this to foster open development right. and collaboration right. with the community that seems like a really big deal this is a serious commitment on their part you right. know it's maybe not my favorite license in the world but it's 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 a real license that people can use it's not some made up thing so what, what's your it's interesting because i released my open source under apache 2 what's your issue with apache 2 I, I I probably, you know, I'm not a big licenses person to begin with. Here, I usually fall into the camp of stuff. Either is usually BSD licensed, which is close to Apache, or yeah, GPL. Yeah, or GPL. And it just depends on what it is and what license is best okay. for it. So I, and you know, I think for, that makes sense. I mean, if you look at it, and uh, you know, from my perspective, I'm usually open sourcing little toolkits, yeah, little utility kits that I've used in, uh, that I use in sometimes code journal or other internal projects. Uh, or stuff I just do on the weekends to use in client projects later. You know, I've watched GPL. So I had a I had an old friend who had a really great product for schools that was GPL. He had somebody come along and take it up. And they did some really cool work with it and really impre- impressed upon it. But you know, they they were they built 20% of their solution on top of his whole stack. And uh they kind of put him out of business, but Using because of the GPL, he was able to get that code back, make his project and product better, and you know he was able to sort of have a rebound, and also then built out his own new niche. He sort of pivoted and created a new niche using some of their improvements. And I watched him go on this yo-yo cycle of like, oh man, I'm devastated. They just took my own code and just put me out of business. Oh wait, I'm benefiting from them modifying my code. Now I have a new market opportunity, and he sort of came back like it was like a comeback scenario. And I thought, wow, you know, it is. It sort of saved him that he got that code back when he put it out there like that. And so I can see, you know, there's there's good uses for all different types of licenses. And I think that the fact that it's not some sort of Microsoft shared code license. Yeah, I mean, that would be a non-starter. Right. For me. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the deal breaker. And it's not that it's a serious commitment. And that's what I get from it. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to alienate some people here. But even the Ubuntu uh, contributors thing makes me a little. Right. Yeah. Let's see. 
the CLA is, yeah, it, it's very uh, controversial. Well, I want to talk a little bit about how they're making – they've also made a huge announcement uh, on the platform side of things. But first, I want to thank DigitalOcean. Oh, man, my droplet is saved the day recently. So go over to DigitalOcean.com to get started and use our brand new promo code for the month of April, Coder April, to get two months of their $5 droplet for free. What is DigitalOcean? Well, DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create their own server in 55 seconds and pricing plans start about $5 per month for 512 megs of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. All of that for a fixed $5 a month. I cannot tell you how valuable this has been for me. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam. They have several uh, in those locations, so you can get a good wide variety. They have tier one bandwidth partners all on top of these SSDs, and they have a very simple interface, a very intuitive control panel, and power users can replicate it on a larger scale with their straightforward API. So use our promo code CODERAPRIL. That's one word, Coder April, to get a $10 credit, let you try that $5 rig for two months. I've got a machine up on DigitalOcean right now that I just keep adding new things to. I'm, I'm, I'm floored by the value here. And they have these awesome droplets that allow you to deploy a system that's ready to go out of the box. Very straightforward. They have an HTML5 console where you can actually see the console screen to check errors. They support two-factor authentication, one-click Ruby on Rails installation. It's so sweet. And I love their DNS management. And the thing is, is all of these features that they continue to iterate on. And this is something I've noticed now as a customer for a little while. And something I really appreciate is they roll it out. It's a great feature. And then they continue to refine and iterate and perfect. They focus on something. They make it just right and just perfect. And they really think about it from end to end. Why do they want to implement this? Why is this feature important to our customers? How does this add to our platform? And if you look back at even how DigitalOcean started, they were the first to say, we're going SSD across the board. And this is a massive investment when they did this years ago. I mean, SSD prices are still high, but picture it in a massive quantity years ago. They were crazy, but they made that choice and it is paid off. I really, really notice a difference on my droplet. And you combine that with their amazing download speeds. I am so happy with my $5 a month DigitalOcean droplet. I would... I, I will. I will. As soon as I need another one, I will gladly spin up another one. It is an incredible value, and I've had nothing but perfect reliability. I haven't had a single minute of outage in months now that I've had a DigitalOcean droplet. So go over to DigitalOcean.com, use that promo code CoderAPRIL, try it for a couple of months, build your backend infrastructure, practice on something, whatever. Solve a few problems. Maybe you need a VPN server. Maybe you need an IRC server. Maybe you need a BitTorrent sync thing. That's a great way to just roll your own backup system is install BitTorrent Sync on a, on a DigitalOcean droplet, install it locally on your machine, and just sync between the two, and you have an off-site backup copy that you have full control over. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERAPRIL and check out all of their great features and see what I've been talking about. You'll just be blown away by the speeds, by the improvement, by the reliability, and that amazing control panel. Something so sophisticated like deploying and backing up servers and deploying applications, choosing data centers all over the world has never been easier or more intuitive. It's it's really awesome to see all the technology come together. DigitalOcean.com, Coder April, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Now, I wanted to also mention, because, you know, as an old Linux guy here, to me, uh, the shot across maybe Android's bow, and then therefore Linux's bow, is that they're, pro- they're planning, and I don't fully understand this because it just doesn't make sense to my brain, 
for Windows to be free on phones, small tablets, and Internet of Things devices. I guess that's like phone or uh, like toasters and watches. But it, it, it is tr- it is unbelievable. I didn't I, I couldn't believe it because Microsoft they make their money off licensing Windows, but they have announced that Windows will be free for hardware makers to use on phones. What do you think, Mr. Dominic? Is this a game changer for Windows adoption by various OEMs? I think it is, but probably not in the U.S., right? And probably not in Western Europe. Um, I think this is them saying they need to compete with Android on that lower end. Mm-hmm. And removing that, whatever it was, $20 license. I mean, you know, the, a lot of these manufacturers are making almost no margin on these devices. Right. A twenty dollar, even a ten dollar cut to Microsoft was just non-tenable. Well, and it's you're competing against zero, right? And the thing is, is Android also offers these guys the ability to rip out a lot of the guts and deploy their own app store, deploy their own music store, right? And that's where they can make up money or deploy their own banking application, depending on the carrier where in the are. country. Yeah, which is which is incredibly big in Africa, right? Right. So you see, where does now does Windows? I don't think Windows even allows that level of customization, right? No. It's, and I think the problem is, is the ecosystem for Windows has a cost to it that maybe is not as sustainable in some of these countries. So I, I think Windows has a lot going for it, actually, in terms of being not premium, but higher premium than the crappier Android devices. Sure. Uh, and I think they're going to, in terms of numbers, they're still going to be last, but I think they'll hit a kind of middle of the road place. Gosh, that seems like a space BlackBerry should have ended up in. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, black, I mean, BlackBerry is a whole different conversation. Man, no kidding, huh? I, I, Microsoft is aggressive here, though. So I mean, the, their cash cow has been Windows and Office for the history of the company, practically. And now we're talking about a scenario in which, see, the thing is, is why all these companies want to get into mobile is because the volumes are so much higher, right? They, um, there was some internal uh, Steve Jobs emails that were leaked that just, like, really underscored uh, the iPad outsold the Mac like in the first six months. Like within the first six months of the iPad's life, they sold more than they'd ever sold Macs in the year or whatever it was. It was just these crazy volumes of numbers. And Microsoft had this, had a same kind of memo where they're like, look, even if we're not a huge player, we've got to get in because the volumes are so high. But it seems like the 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 butt to that sentence is if you're not making money on those devices being sold, then what's the point? And if they're replacing a bunch of your core components, what's the so point? There's more than just making money on the unit, though, right? There are services. Remember, when you're a big company like Microsoft, you can absorb a loss leader for a long time. Sure, sure. Look at the Xbox. Uh, yeah. Ooh. Oh. Nothing. Um, I think there's going to be – I think there's an argument to be made that this could be a, a, a platform play rather than a actually – I mean a selling devices platform play too, right? But this could be more of a Google-style platform play where – they know they're going to eat it up front, but hopefully they, I mean, let's be honest, can lock people in. Right. So uh, they get, so they're, yeah. I, and this is where I, I just, I'm disconnected. I, I don't see, it seems like if you need a, if, if you can't afford a 10 or $20 OEM license, you're probably not going to afford the mapping services and the, and the, and all of that. Like, that just seems like that's all going to get peeled off. I don't know though. Maybe Microsoft is hoping they can spend the money on those things if they're not spending the money on the OEM licenses. Because I think the way this is yeah. going to have to work is the OEMs are going to have to buy into some of this stuff. I, I just can't – I don't know. I don't see where they're going well, with I it. Think, I think in some countries too there's other deals they could make, right? Put a certain payment processor on the phone but not another. 
Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of... And part of it, too, is probably just staying relevant, staying in yeah. the game. There's a cost that's, that's just worth spending for that. Yeah, we just... I feel like they have to do it, but I feel like it's probably not the business they want it to be in. So we have buried the most important story out of Build. Uh, everybody, if you're not sitting down, at least prepare yourself for this one. Microsoft is bringing the start menu back. The actual start menu, it's a major revamp. The start menu has a huge-ass shelf with tile widgets in it. Have you seen this? Not good. This is like, it's the biggest... First of all, the start menu is... It, it is. I mean, it, it's huge. At first, I was like, okay, I kind of like the idea. And then I saw it, and I'm like, okay, but I'm going to need a 30-inch monitor just to support that start menu. <laughs> I... I can't believe that they buckled to this. I, I mean, I believe it. I just don't think they should. So here's why I wanted to bring this up, because they've spent the last three years convincing apps, app makers to make modern applications, and now right. they're coming out and saying, oh, by the way, guys, start menus back, uh, traditional desktops stronger than ever. We're calling it a new mode. We're going to introduce a new mode that allows modern Windows 8 apps to run in the desktop environment in their own windowed applications. So it's essentially... Surrender. Yeah, it's a total walk back. So now you're going to have applications that aren't awesome in windowed mode. I mean, I guess it's nice that I can have. I just don't get it. I feel like this is a this is an absolute betrayal of anyone who invested in WinRT. Um, I feel like this is not going to be good for the desktop ecosystem because you know it's funny. um, Someone here was asking earlier today. Well, why don't people just develop good apps for Windows? And the answer is because you. Won't make a lot of money on it. Mm-hmm. Well, and now apparently the uh, the target keeps shifting around on you. So, are you right. still supposed to be making modern apps? They're going to run in some funky. It's going to look like when you used to run DOS apps inside an NTVDM DOS window thing. Uh, you know, a little like you bring up Command Prompt and you'd run the DOS application in a little DOS window on your Windows desktop. That's what these are going to look like in a sense. Especially when they're all green, like the old green DOS prompts. It, it's, <laughs> I can't. it's just such a bad idea. Yeah, it seems like a total. And and you know they're trying to push pin it off, push it off as well. Listening to our customer, they're, they're putting it all on Sanofsky. The new narrative yeah. is well, Sanofsky. This was all Sanofsky's idea. He was really forceful. He made us do this. We didn't want to, but we were trying to be bold. And now that he's gone, we're going to walk back from it and we're going to focus on the desktop again. But it, but. But the story for so long has been the desktop is dead. We're replacing it. It's there for transitional periods, and it's all going to go through the App Store. I mean, they're they're doing a lot of really interesting and really cool stuff. This is not one of those things. This t- this is killing Windows RT. This is totally destroying. Well, I mean, you notice the entire build conference, the letters R and T were not there. Right. Yes. To each other. No mention. No mention. No mention. And you and and this we have now come from. Developers were – it was such a huge bombshell to developers right. that Valve freaked out and said, oh, my God, we have to make Steam for Linux because we cannot sustain a business in this modern UI app store world. And now we've gone from from that end of the spectrum to it's pretty much just going to be a companion application that runs in a window or you snap to your side. So they're right. essentially gadget 2.0. from Vista, yes. basically. Yes, yeah. But I, I'm just feeling for you know the small indie development shot – Shop that was like, all right, you know what? We're we're ASP.NET developers, but we're going to take a foray into app development, and we're going to do WinRT because that's where we have our skills. Um, that just probably should have brick. Jeez, 
I mean, think about it. If you had just invested your entire first-party budget into that, how did you leave feeling billed? Yeah. I would be... Shaking your head. Immediately. Yeah, you'd be wishing you'd been writing for iOS or Android right. this whole time. Right. Yeah, these are MS Gadgets 2.0, I agree. Yeah, um, I'm, not, I'm not impressed. I don't think this is a good thing to do to their developers, but, I mean, the question is how many developers do they actually have on RT? So was the core mistake ever making this change in the first place? I, I don't mean, know if I'd go that can't you, far. Can't you call modern this, UI on, on the desktop a failure at this point? So, I think Microsoft feels that name Windows has too much value. Uh, I feel like WinRT should have been called something else and been its own operating system. Right. Totally separate. Yeah. Uh, like I iOS to macOS. I have. I always had a sinking suspicion that the reason it was done the way it was done was because they couldn't get the Office team off their ass to develop the Metro version in time. That was the word that they refused to. They got a. So they, they crapped out a half-assed uh, OneNote right. build. Um, having said that, you know, I've, I've also seen some posts about how they're doomed or, or, you know, it's either the narrative as either Satya Nadella is the hero and is saving them or he's the captain of that Titanic rearranging the deck chairs, right? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure neither is true. I think they're going to be pretty strong in the cloud indefinitely and they're going to be a strong developer tools company. I think... Not necessarily the target platform. Oh, Interesting. Well, and they will be a target platform for those legacy, you know, business installations. If they can make Windows 8 and then eventually Windows 9 more transitional from Windows 7, they can hold on to that market. You know, that market, it just wants a solution from Microsoft so bad. And so if Microsoft can meet them somewhere in the middle, I think they can, I think they can hold on to a huge part of that Windows 7 install base. Because there's a lot of folks that are just hanging out on Windows 7 in business right now saying, well, we're going to give Microsoft another release and see what happens. And now they're, I believe they're beginning to signal to those groups of people, all right, we're kind of walking back a little bit. Don't freak out. And we're just going to try to ha- capture that. But I think you're right for like consumers. They're not going to be the target. Mike, they already aren't the target platform anymore. I mean, other than games, right? Um, one other thing I would add is um, I, I watched build. Then I read a lot of the commentary. What jumped into my mind was actually Apple, because their development tool chain, though I love Objective-C, is kind of the odd man out right now. Um, they've improved Xcode, but, and this has been covered elsewhere a lot. I feel like they're starting to get into that Microsoft position, where they're currently the top dog in terms of developer attention, but... You know, Coco's a little long on the tooth. They're going to need to make some changes, right? How are they going to approach it? Are they going to do what they did with Carbon and just drop it and just say, hey, you know, we're done? Or are they going to try to do a Microsoft thing and have multiple platforms running at once? I think they, you know, this is an Apple that is now strapped to a massive user base that they have never had to deal with before. And I think they'll be too afraid under the helm of Tim Cook to just say, we're going to Carbon you. I think they. I, I mean, I could see a situation where Objective C becomes what C is in the Microsoft world, and then we come out with some more high level language. Um, a lot of folks in the Mac community are pushing for Ruby to be that language. I think that's absolutely terrible. Mm. Not that I hate Ruby, but I don't think Ruby is appropriate for. I, just like Ubuntu picked Python, I don't think that was appropriate either. 
I don't know. I, I don't think this is a Microsoft exclusive problem. I think it's more developers you have, the harder it is to do anything. Right. Yeah. And the more interests are already have momentum in a certain direction, right. the, the, the higher the stakes are for big changes. I mean, my biggest question is if, um, you know, if iOS didn't happen, would Apple still be using Objective-C? Gosh, that's a great question. That's right, a, would they have been forced to switch by the market already? Wow. Yeah, that really saved their bacon. That saved their bacon. Nobody knew Objective-C, right? Right. And people complain. I mean, just Mac granted, <laughs> Objective-C 2.0 is a lot nicer than, than what it was when I first looked at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But Yeah. I, I've never thought about that before. I wonder if the market would have already forced them to go a different direction. And what direction would – maybe they would have gone C-sharp. <laughs> Ironically, C-sharp is a logical pick because Coco and .NET are actually philosophically very similar. Um, they're both big, heavy frameworks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't uh, – I think Bash. I don't know. I, I think that they should go Bash for the future. No, they'd probably go something like um, Objective-C engines or Ruby scripting or something weird like that. You really think – I think the future is going to be more of these loose, um, non-static languages. I think we're going to see a lot more interpreted languages. Damn kids and their high-level languages. What's going to happen next? Windows is going to be free? Yeah, right. That'll be the yeah, day. Right. <laughs> no oh, way. Also, uh, TypeScript 1.0, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we want to cover in this week's episode of Coder Radio? No, I just want to thank Satya for everything he's apparently done. He's changed days. it in five days. Yeah, he's he's five changed days. the course of the of the company. Yeah, it's Press. it's a real he's a real miracle worker. Uh, so don't forget, next week we're recording two Coder radios back to back, which means the following week we won't be live. So you have an extended period of time to join us. We kick off at nine a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, and we'll do two episodes back to back to go. Should we do a call in episode? We could we could talk about doing a call in episode for one of them. I think we should do the second one as a call-in. All right, we'll do it. We'll do the second episode as a call-in episode. So we'll be on Mumble for that episode, and uh, you can join us over at jblive.tv and join the chat room and do bang Mumble, and it'll give you the Mumble server info, and we'll hang out with you guys and uh, have an open mic and chat and all that kind of good stuff. And don't forget, we want to get your feedback. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click that contact link and choose Coder Radio from the drop-down, or you can go to coderradio.reddit.com. We leave a link to each episode in there and we had some great feedback in the thread last week so thanks you guys in the subreddit that's a great way to interact too in fact i'll be honest it's my preferred way because my inbox is a monster that i try to avoid so you have a better chance of getting our attention in the subreddit uh and you can always join us live and you can always leave a comment in itunes that helps other people find the show there's lots of people out there looking for a show just like ours these days and so we'd appreciate if you comment and rated us it helps other people find it It sort of juices the stats and whatnot Mr. Dominic, where should we send people to find you throughout the week? Fingertiptech.com. What about fingertip.technology? Oh, that's our secret one. Oh, okay. I won't tell anybody about that. Just our little secret. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm twitter.com slash Chris L-A-S. Love to uh, chat with you there, too. It's a great way to get a hold of me since, like I said, I got, an, I got a monster in my inbox. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>